Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you. So I'm going to get into this word, and I want to start with Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 again, because I want that to be the perspective of tonight. And tonight is worship. The subtitle is Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So today I want to drive um, a home, a point that I hope you take with you, not just tonight, I hope you take with you out of here. And I hope this changes the way that you think about worship, if, if it isn't already the way you think about worship. Okay, so worship is not music. A lot of people think, well, music is worship. Well, we can express worship through music, but that's not worship. It's not how well you sing, right? Am I getting some reverb, James? A little bit? Hook a, hook a brother up. Um, worship is not how loud you sing. It's not, it's not if you're here. It's not if you're at home. Um, it's none of those things. It's not a location thing. Worship, worship is a posture of your heart. Worship's a posture of your heart. I'm going to tell you all a story how I learned worship. And when I got saved, a lot of you guys know my testimony. I was, I was uh, big into drugs and drinking and sleeping around and just all this foolishness. And, and I didn't know God. I didn't grow up in church. Um, I was an atheist for a while. I really, I genuinely did not believe that God existed. I thought people were foolish for believing in what I called a, 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 like a fairy up in the sky or something. And I would trip people up. I'd read atheist books all the time so I could argue better. And, and I had all this, right? And so for me, I, there was no shot of me ever worshiping. But when I came to church and I got saved, God radically, listen, I tried for years, like some of you have heard, I tried for years to quit smoking, you know, quit doing drugs, to quit drinking, to quit sleeping around. I tried to stop those things. I got to a point to where I realized that wasn't satisfying me anymore, but I couldn't. I got to a point I couldn't. And then I realized, well, man, I can embrace this as much as I want, but I still can't have fun. I can't find fulfillment, but then I can't stop. And one of my last ditch efforts, so to speak, was I came to church here and I got saved. And I mean, I got radically saved. In a moment, God took my desire away for sleeping around. He took my desire away for drinking. He took all of that stuff away. And, and there's more that happened to me. And I'll elaborate that on a few sermons from now. But the change happened instantly. And guys, I didn't know. I never read the Bible. Keep in mind, I had no clue what happened. I couldn't explain it. I said, when I talked to my friends, I'd say, hey, you ever been one of them churches where people do this and sing? That's how I describe it. And, and I said, bro, what happened to me was I did that thing where you walk down the aisle and they pray with you and stuff. And bro, it changed my life. That's how I would tell that story because I didn't know the words. I didn't know the verbiage. You know, I didn't know what to use. But I knew something happened. And so the next Sunday when I came, I remember closing my eyes and for the first time worshiping. And I didn't really know the words. So I'd squint to read them. And as I'd read them, it's like the Lord was teaching me how those words applied to my life. Like, Lord, you have my heart. You have my heart forever. Wow. Like, that means, God, you have my heart. I've given you my heart. And you don't just have it right now. You have it forever. The truth of that resonated in me for the first time. And so my eyes are closed. I wasn't looking around because I'd get distracted. So I'd learn a chorus and 
I'd maybe write down the song so I could go download it, you know, online. But I'd close my eyes and I would worship and I'd find my hands going up. Not because everybody else's hands were going up, but I felt the, the pre- whatever it was that changed my life, I felt like it came from up here. I felt like it came from up here. So when I worshiped, I wanted to touch it. I wanted to touch it. And if it would have been okay for me to stand on the bleacher, on, on the pews rather, um, I'd have stood on the pews. But I thought that might be a little weird, so I didn't do it. So, but, but my heart was to worship God. I was, and I, I didn't know what you called it. I didn't know it was called worship. I just called it singing. And so I'd sing to God. But it was my heart. It was my heart. So I get home and I didn't have songs to worship. Too. And I didn't know it was called worship, so I couldn't, I couldn't Google worship songs. So I'd Google Jesus music. And, and that's how I found out what that was. But So I'd worship corporately, but then I'd worship by myself. And, and guys, I'm telling you, I'd be sitting at my table with all my roommates, everybody drinking. My temptation wasn't to drink, so I didn't. And, and all of a sudden, I'd get this urge to go do that worship thing. And so I'd go to my room and I'd I'd say, hey, guys, I use the restroom real quick, or I'm going to take a shower or whatever. And I'd go to my room, close the door. I'd go in my bathroom, close the door. I'd pull out my iPad or my laptop, and I'd push play on a worship song. And the more I did it, the presence of God would hit me in the bathroom or in my room or wherever I was. And it didn't take me long, once that became consistent, for the presence of God to hit me like that. I mean, I could turn the worship song on and hear the strum of a guitar, and bam, I'd feel the presence of God. When I came to when I came to church to worship, I was I came worshiping to church. I didn't come to church to worship. I came worshiping to church. And so when I came to church, man, that first worship song would hit. I'm worshiping. Now let me tell you what happened along the way. And thank God this happened. I, I thought about this just now, and in my notes. Thank you, Lord. So I'm on fire for God for three solid months, man. And somebody passes me and they say. Man, you are on fire. But that's, you know, that's going to wear off, though. But enjoy it while it lasts. Well, somebody that I know one of our leaders knows very well, and, and I love him to death, came up to me. He overheard that. It was Dick Menard, um, Josh's dad. And he told me, he said, hey, let me tell you something. I heard that, and I'm going to rebuke that in Jesus' name. I pray you never lose that fire. That was five years ago, and I never lost that fire. And so just right now, if you've ever felt that or somebody's ever told you that, just like, just like Brother Dick did to me, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. That's not true. There's no theology to support dulling down worship. You know what happens? We get pulled away, and we are the ones who walk away. Jesus doesn't walk away. That's a lie. And so I want to call that out because that's a lie. The Bible says in James 4.8, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, when we read this, we can think, man, wash your hands, you sinners. That could sound a little harsh. It's not harsh. It's not harsh. It's an encouragement, much like I'm encouraging you. James is saying, hey, guys, sin gets in the way. Sin pulls you away from worship. So wash your hands, because when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So that's what James is saying. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. How do we do that? What are we drawing near to God with? We're drawing near to God with our heart. With our heart. Remember, the theme of this message is worship is a posture of the heart. God's looking at our hearts. How many of you remember David in the Bible? 
other than Jesus, that's my favorite Bible character. And the reason I love David is a scripture I'm fixing to read because I identify with it. And I believe that when you have a heart after God, you will identify with this too. But what ha- to sum up what happened with David, David was the least likely to succeed in his high school class, if you will. He least likely to succeed. He was the student no one cared about, so to speak. And what happened with David was he was the least, he was the youngest of his brothers. He was the least likely to succeed. And so his dad put him in the field tending sheep. And no one was looking in the field except for him and the sheep and the bears and all the stuff he fought off. So God sends a prophet, Samuel, to go and find the next king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to David's father, and he's saying, bring your sons. God is choosing someone from your family to be the next king of Israel. So he brings all his sons, and long story short, he goes through all the sons. Samuel doesn't know. The prophet doesn't know there's another son. But he goes through all of them, and he says, man, what's going on? God hasn't anointed any of these guys. He hasn't anointed any of these guys. Do you have any more sons? And he says, yeah, I do, uh, David. He's just a little shepherd boy the least likely to succeed, but God was watching him. And God saw more than what people see. God saw the heart. It's my favorite scripture right here. It's 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Later on, we find out David's a worshiper. David's a worshiper. He worshiped God in that field when he was by himself. God taught him in that field when he was by himself. When you don't think anyone's looking at you, I'm telling you from experience, God is looking at you. God is looking at you. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your heart. In Acts 13, 22, God said this about David, but God removed him, speaking about Saul, but God removed him from the kingship and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said this. David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart, for he will do everything I want him to do. He sought after God's own heart. That's huge. Now, when you think about David, he had an affair with a married lady and killed her husband. It's pretty crazy. And God said that about David? What a picture of repentance and what a picture of what the pursuit of God can do for your life, huh? Isn't that good? And so... Adam and Eve, let's go back to Adam and Eve in Genesis. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So God's walking in the garden. Right before this, God had made a deal with them and said, hey, you can have all of these trees in the garden. You can have all of these trees in the garden, but just don't eat this one tree. Why did God do that? Well, he didn't plant that tree so he could punish them, but if you don't have an option to choose the wrong thing, then you have no reason to be rewarded for choosing the right thing. And we have a good father who loves to give good gifts. The Bible says he gave his one and only son so that we would be able to go to heaven. So the devil twists that. But what God says was, hey, guys, I didn't put that here to punish you. I put that here to reward you when you make the right decision. He tells them the decision to make. It's their disobedience that got them into trouble. So after their disobedience got them into trouble, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, 
Where are you? Where are you? Stop and let's just think. God is calling to you. Where are you? It's not that God doesn't know where you are physically. God is asking you to look into your heart and see where you are. See, like God is all-knowing, as if he didn't know where physically Adam was. But he wanted Adam to stop and ask himself that question. Oh, my goodness, where am I? Where am I? And so in worship, it's a great time to do that. Another part that we see is that Adam's heart had grown from close to God. We see how a guy was best friends with Adam. His heart and, and, and God's heart were one and the same. God let him name all the animals. I mean, that's why we call a giraffe a giraffe. It's all because of Adam, you know? So God was close to him. They were best buds, man. But he, he ventured off and his sin made him feel inadequate, right? What we, what we hear earlier, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Purify your hearts. God, Adam was in this situation. So later on, we see that Jesus addresses the Pharisees with this situation, talking about the heart. Now, this I'm going to tie this into worship at the end. Talking about the heart, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. I'm going to read that again. These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. What's in vain? Their lips are adding up, but their heart isn't adding up to what their lips are saying. We can be worshiping with our lips and not be worshiping with our heart. But the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart, right? And so the Pharisees looked right on the outside. They clapped when they're supposed to clap. They raised their hands when they're supposed to raise their hands. If you got the if you got the rock when you worship, they did the rock when they worshiped. It was whatever was, was going on. They were doing it. But God's not fooled. Jesus wasn't fooled. Jesus said, you're doing the right things on the outside, man, but you can't fool me. Your hearts are far from me, right? So we got to check our hearts. I want to bring you, bring you guys to this, you know. When, it, when you're in worship, when you're in worship, Sometimes there's distractions. It might be your phone vibrating. It might be your friend next to you. It, it could be something that's on your mind, maybe a worry that happened. Um, you never know exactly what it's going to be, but there's always going to be something. The Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That doesn't mean that they got a bunch of mean, violent people running around, and I'm a Christian, and I'm cutting you down, and all this type of stuff. That's not what it's talking about. What it's saying is the kingdom of God suffers violence. You have to violently persevere. You have to violently pursue the presence of God. You You have to do whatever it takes to worship the Lord, whatever it takes to worship the Lord. Jesus says in, uh, in, in John 4, 21 through 24, he's talking to this woman at the well. She feels inadequate because she's a Samaritan. And, and Jesus is talking to her. He says, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, Samaritan, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come here. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For all, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What's he seek? Spirit and truth. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. The word spirit here is referring to your innermost being. You know when you got a crush on somebody, you feel it on the inside? You know what I'm talking about? I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you got a crush on someone, you feel it in your innermost being. Well, see, that's the, that's the area the Lord wants you to worship him in. It's your innermost being. It's your innermost being. So that's in spirit. And then in truth. In truth, of course, means in knowing the truth of who God is. But also in truth means nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden in you from God. It means, it means vulnerable. It means being vulnerable before the Lord. And so nothing is hidden. You're not worshiping God and saying, God, I'll let you in this much. It's openness. It's vulnerable. God's desiring for you to worship him in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. So in closing, I'm going to ask all of you guys who, if you got to go, listen, it's, it's, a, it's almost 10 after 8. I'm not going to think, oh, that person doesn't love Jesus. If you got to go, it is late, so you can go. But if not, we're gonna, I'm going to call, well, the worship team's up already. I'm going to call the leaders up to the front. We're going we're gonna to have some altar ministry, like I said. So all of the leaders, if you can come up to the front. And before we start praying, I, I want to preface this. You can all stand. You can all stand. The Bible says, come near to God and he will draw near to you. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to practice what I preached. How about that? We're going to practice what I preached. The Bible says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily, so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Like I mentioned before, some hindrances could be, what is such and such going to think if I walk up there for prayer? What is such and such going to think if I raise my hands to worship? I'm going to be cool or not? You know, what, what, if, what if I sing out loud and they hear me? Listen, all those worries and concerns, I promise you, a year from now, you're going to forget that you've ever even, a week from now, you're going to forget you've ever even worried about that. But God is still going to be looking at your heart. God is still going to be looking at your heart. So we're going to worship the rest of the service. I encourage you. We're going into prayer and fasting. I want to encourage you guys before we, we get up here. I want to encourage you to participate in prayer and fasting. It's not just a ritual. If I can encourage you guys with one thing, I've done this myself. I noticed that Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Netflix, all that stuff, it will drastically take your attention. Trust me. It's those things in and of themselves aren't evil. I'm not up here condoning Facebook. I have a Facebook. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when they become such an attention getter that you can't even focus on a conversation, you certainly can't. If you can't focus on a conversation with someone in front of you, there's no way you're going to focus on worship. There's no way you're going to focus on God because you have to be still and quiet because he has a still, small voice. So as we, as we go into worship, I just want to encourage you guys, come out to prayer and fasting. Come out to prayer and fasting. Participate in prayer and fasting. Pray and ask the Lord, hey, Lord, what do you want me to fast? And what do you want me to fast about? Everybody in here has something to pray about, something to fast about. And God will show up, I promise you. I promise you. I promise you, if you will seek God with all your heart, 
I promise you he will show up. I promise you. I promise you. So we're going to start with worship. Come up and, and just come and get some prayer, guys. If you got to go, you can roll. But let's get started. Let's just worship the Lord and just come up for prayer. I love you guys. See y'all soon. Again, thanks for joining us. For more info on Fusion, you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you.